Blog Talk Radio. President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Welcome in to End Time News. I'm your host, W. Dean Shook. Thank you for being here today. We're going to have an important discussion today, and it's going to be a frank discussion that will have large groups in America having foaming at the mouth fits. Now, before I set these people's anger on fire, which I will do, let me give you an example of the way these groups really feel. I found this on the Christian Post. Tanya Cohen a human rights activist and writer, is dismayed that there's no laws that allow the imprisonment of those who state certain offensive positions, such as Bill Maher or Phil Robertson. She said in the United States, if we were a civilized country, then Robertson would have been taken before a government human rights tribunal or human rights commission and given a fine or a prison sentence for hateful and bigoted comments that he made about LGBT people. Among these types of speech that should be punished, Cohen mentions saying that Islamic terrorists are linked to Islam, or saying gay marriage is not really marriage, or saying that men who want to be called women are really just men. She said Bill Maher, a liberal atheist who has said that Muslims are more violent than Christians, citing a recent shooting, she said there would be laws against hate speech. Marr would be held legally accountable for the shooting. She said when people like this are allowed to sway public opinion against the common good, it can have disastrous consequences. Now, comparing the United States to other mostly European nations, they have more restrictions on speech than we do. She wrote... Only in the U.S. is freedom of speech so restrictive and repressive. She then complained that there's no law in the United States that allows the banning of movies, books, video games, groups, or political parties. 
She argued nations have a more sensible approach to the freedom of expression, would allow legitimate freedom of expression, but would ban a host of other voices, including anti-vaxxers, climate change deniers, pickup artists, and harmful media. She said the song Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke and Perel Williams would also be banned for encouraging rape. Freedom of speech, Korn explained, should give people the right to criticize the government in a civil, polite, and respectful manner, but should not give the right to offend, to insult, to disrespect, to oppose human rights, or to argue against the common good. They should also not be allowed to voice approval of totalitarian ideologies or to perpetuate toxic systems of privilege and oppression, or to promote ideas which have no place in a modern democratic society. They should not be allowed to be provocative or incendiary, or to express opinions which are unacceptable to the majority of the people. She said the U.S. is completely backwards, positively uncivilized in free speech protection. Cohen believes... Third world countries like Russia and Kazakhstan are better at freedom of speech by banning certain types of speech, he said. Now, these are the kind of people who are going to be having fits. They're going to be foaming at the mouth at this program because this is going to be a frank discussion. And we're going to talk about what might be the greatest moral crisis to date. Now, I don't mean the continual factory slaughter of thousands of babies a day or the endless parade of sexual immorality parading across the public square, howling for recognition, or even the redefinition of marriage, these are effects, more or less, of a real moral crisis. And the real moral crisis is this, that we, among all human beings who have ever lived, face the end of morality as we've known it. Abortion and infanticide have existed before, so is homosexuality and pedophilia. Exclusive, lifelong heterosexual monogamy was, for the most part, a Christian mandate. So variations on the definition of marriage are not hard to come by historically. If these things by themselves were all that plagued us, we'd only be facing an especially ugly relapse into the darkness of paganism. Underneath all of these things lies a darkness that's so dark even paganism seems like it's light. The rejection of human nature itself. The rejection of all morality. Now we have to look at this unprecedented phenomenon theologically in order to see the full impact. What we're seeing is the complete unraveling of what God so tightly bound in creation. We're now witnessing the creation account running backwards. From divine back to formlessness. From distinction back to void, light back to darkness, and all moral distinctions in regard to sexuality come from sexuality itself. So the natural capacity to procreate, become one flesh, as described in Genesis 2.24, is the union of one man and one female. From this fundamental distinction comes not only the very definition of marriage, yet its perfection but also the prohibitions against adultery, sex before marriage, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, pornography, 
These prohibitions are in one way or another a perversion or a turning away from the fundamental natural sexual distinction. Well, does it sound like science fiction? Read Huxley's Brave New World. This is a really prophetic science fiction satire written in 1932. Huxley attempted to paint a world where sexual pleasure had been utterly divorced from love through the use of test tube creation of human beings. The novel was set 600 years in the future, but by the end of the 20th century, so much of this prophecy had become fact that it almost has no effect. Huxley imagined that the loveless factory production of human beings would turn sex into a commonplace recreational activity. And when it comes to the destruction of moral boundaries, then science fact is outpacing science fiction. This is why all that's needed for the triumph of evil and the negation of the distinction between good and evil itself is for us to do nothing. Once we eliminate the notion that human nature is given and that our very nature sets a limit to what we can or should do, then the distinction between science fiction and science facts are temporal. Pedophilia, just the next step in the destruction of what God has set up for man, a good, clean, sober life with him. The New York Times reported, the underlying assumption that has led to the increasing legitimization of same-sex marriage is now fueling a growing effort in academic circles to mainstream pedophilia. Once considered taboo, psychologists are beginning to walk down the same path as LGBT activists established more than 50 years ago, insisting that pedophilia is an inborn sexual orientation not a learned sexual behavior. They say if people are born with a sexual attraction to minors, the argument goes their orientation should be accepted as normative and not stigmatized. James Cantor, Ph.D., a clinical psychologist and assistant professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Toronto, is regarded internationally as a leading sexologist studying pedophilia. Well, Matt Barber wrote that on Wednesday, August 17th, Dr. Justin Reisman attended a conference hosted by the pedophile group Before You Act. Around 50 individuals were in attendance, including a number of admitted pedophiles or minor attracted persons, as they prefer, a new self-described gay activist, and several supportive mental health professionals, world-renowned sexologist Dr. Fred Berlin of John Hopkins University gave the keynote address saying, I want to completely support the goals of Before You Act. Let me give you some of the highlights from this conference. They said pedophiles are unfairly stigmatized and demonized by society. There was concern about vice-laden diagnostic criteria and a cultural baggage of wrongfulness. Said we are not required to interfere with or inhibit our child's sexuality. Children are not inherently unable to consent to sex with an adult. They also said in Western culture, sex is taken too seriously. Anglo-Americans on age of consent is new. In Europe, it was always set at 10 or 12. Age of consent beyond that are relatively new and very strange, especially for boys. They've always been able to have sex at any age, they said. 
An adult desire to have sex with children is a normative. Our society should maximize individual liberty. We have a highly moralistic society that's not consistent with liberty. Assuming children are unable to consent lends itself to a criminalization and a stigmatization. These things are not black and white. They're various shades of gray. They said a consensus believed by both speakers and pedophiles in attendance was that because it vilifies pedophiles should be removed as a mental disorder from the American Psychiatric Association, the APA. Dr. Fred Berlin acknowledged that it was political activism rather than a scientific calculus that successfully led to the declassification of homosexuality as a mental disorder. They said the reason homosexuality was taken out of DSM is that people didn't want the government in the bedroom. The DSM ignores the pedophiles have feelings of love and romance for children in the same way adults love one another. They said the majority of pedophiles are gentle and rational, that the DSM should focus on the needs of the pedophile, should have a minimal focus on social control, rather than obsessing about the need to protect children. A self-described gay activist and speaker, Jacob Breslow, said that children can properly be the object of our attraction. He further qualified children, suggesting that pedophiles don't need consent to have sex with it, any more than we need consent from a shoe to wear it. He then used graphic slang language to favorably describe the act of climaxing on or with a child. No one in attendance objected to this explicit description of child sexual assault. There was even laughter. So, am I just intolerant, pedophobic, a bigot? Well, apparently so. In fact, Dr. Berlin says pedophilia is just another sexual orientation. Some of the minor attracted conference goers insisted they were born that way. Sound familiar? This is sexual anarchy. This is the fulfillment of moral activist dreams. In the 1940s, homosexual psychopath and secular humanist Alfred Kinsey stated the goal was to destroy in society Christian sexual ethics, and he has largely achieved his goal. During the sexology research, Kenzie facilitated the rape of thousands of kids, some as young as two months old, placing stopwatches and ledgers in the hands of minor attracted persons to document their feelings. He then records everything in what he calls the Kenzie reports. Kenzie determined, among other things, that children are not harmed by sex with adults, that it can be a positive experience. And old Al even earned his own Kinsey Institute, which is still in existence today at Indiana University. As recently as 1998, the APA seemed to agree with Kinsey's assessment. They released a report that suggested harm caused by child rape was overstated. The vast majority of both men and women reported no sexual effects from their child sexual abuse experience. Furthermore, the APA reported suggests that the term child sex abuse be swapped with adult child sex, indicating, as did Kinsey, that these intergenerational intimacy can be positive. Isn't tolerance wonderful? 
Oh, and the progressive political activist APA, who also seems fit to join an amicus brief in favor of so-called same-sex marriage. What does this have to do with psychiatry? Your guess is as good as mine, but make no mistake, children are the target of what I call sexual anarchy movement. Whether it's the movement's pedophile wing that's trying to literally rape children, or it's radical pro-abortion, homosexual activist feminist wing, which claim to rape the minds of children, the larger sexual anarchy movement has a shared goal. Attack, corrupt, and destroy God's design for human sexuality. And children are just collateral damage. Sexual anarchists know that to own the future... They must own the minds of our children. So, groups like Before You Act or Glesson, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, Planned Parenthood, and the like, are utilizing academia from preschool to postgraduate. They're doing this to brainwash and indoctrinate. Still, sexual anarchists are not restricted to the world of not-for-profit perversion advocacy. They also permeate the Obama administration. Consider, for instance, the official website for the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. It recently linked to parenting tips that referred to children as sexual beings and suggested they should experiment with homosexuality and masturbation. Small surprise when you consider the radical feminist pro-abortion Kathleen Sebelius was President Obama's pick as HHS Secretary. And you may also recall, Mr. Obama appointed Kevin Jennings, founder of Glesson, to the post of Safe School Czar. Well, this position is now defunct because of national outrage over Jennings' appointment, but in keeping with the thinly veiled goals of Before You Act in Glesson, seems to be running interference for pedophiles having tactically advocated adult-child sex through its recommended reading list for kids. Now, again, it's not surprising when you consider that one of Jennings' ideological mentors is gay activist Harry Hay. So what did Mr. Hay think? Well, let's let him speak for himself. In 1983, while addressing the Pedophile North America Man-Boy Love Association, or NAMBLA, Hay said the following... It seems to me that in the gay community, the people who should be running interference for NAMBLA are the parents and friends of gays. Because if the parents and friends of gays are truly friends of gays, they would know from their gay kids that the relationship between an older man is precisely what 13, 14, and 15-year-old kids need more than anything else in the world. And they would be welcoming this and welcoming the opportunity for gay kids to have the kind of experience they would need. Well, oddly, there's another gay activist group, Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, call themselves PFLAG, that frequently partners with Glesson. And it's bolstered by support for the National Education Association. Glesson has access to your kids through sex education curricula it provides to thousands of public schools across the country and via adult-sponsored gay-straight alliance that's hosted in some schools. So we live in a post-Kinsey America where in our culture, along with our Christian heritage, rots in the heat of the day, 
The stench of sexual anarchy is masked by the soaring, disgusting rhetoric of tolerance, diversity, and comprehensive sex education. You sick to your stomach yet? Well, I am. Why can't these sexual anarchists leave our kids alone and just let them be kids? Their research concludes pedophiles share distinct characteristics of the brain wiring. They contend some 1 to 5% of all men are predisposed to primary sexual attraction to children. In the New York Times report on Cantor's work, reporter Laura Kane noted that pedophilia has been widely viewed as a psychological disorder triggered by early childhood trauma. However, many experts now, she wrote, see it as a biologically rooted condition that does not change like a sexual orientation thanks largely to a decade of research by Dr. James Cantor and the Center of Addiction for Mental Health. Well, last fall, the American Psychological Association caused an uproar when the latest edition of the Vaughan Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Health Disorders called pedophilia a sexual orientation. Now, after inquiries from news organizations, the APA issued a correction stating sexual orientation is not a term used in the diagnostic criteria of pedophilic disorder. Really, in a speech at a meeting of the Association for the Treatment of Sex Abusers, Cantor traced the idea that pedophilia is a characteristic of the brain to the work of Richard von Kraft Ebbing. He's an Astro-German psychiatrist. Kraft Ebbing's defining book, Psychopathia Sexualis, first published in 1886, defined various sexual practices, including homosexuality, bestiality, and pedophilia as pathologies determined by a mental state that ultimately traced to brain disorders. Cantor reject Kraft Ending's moral judgment, defines various pedophilia behavior as sexual indications caused by observable differences in brain structure and functioning, which he calls brain wiring. Now, Cantor's research term at Kurt Fraud Philometric Lab conducts experiments with sexual sex offenders. Now, get this. The men are showed nude images of children and adults of various ages. While a device measures blood flow to their penises, the method called philometry was invented by Freud in the 1950s, Cantor said it accurately measures sexual interest in 90% of men. They said Cantor has found that pedophiles are shorter, on average, and three times more likely to be left-handed or ambidextrous. Their IQs are about 10 to 15 points lower, and they're more prone to childhood head injuries, a characteristic Cantor attributes to inborn clumsiness. Cantor finds that pedophiles are overwhelmingly men, about one-third of whom prefer boys, about one-third prefer girls, and one-third are attracted to both. In an interview with the Canadian show The Agenda, Cantor said pedophilia is not a psychological disorder or something that went wrong in their parenting, but a biological disorder such as there's something in the brain of a pedophile that's different from what's in the brain of a non-pedophile. In the interview, Cantor declared, no one chooses to be attracted to adults, no one chooses to be attracted to children, 
affirming you're either wired for it or you're not. He also notes that people attracted to minors aren't all necessarily molesters. Really? Well, Cantor argued, we'll be able to make much more contact with these people, that's the pedophiles, when we indicate to them that we know they don't choose this, we know they had no opportunity to select what they're going to be attracted to, the best we can do in therapy is to manage their sexual interests. He asserts nobody has ever developed a therapy that's capable of changing somebody's sexual interest. So their goal is to normalize immorality, normalize what traditional psychology is regarded as sexual pathology was a key strategy driving the research at Alfred Kinsey and the Kinsey Institute. In today's world, what is bad is being called good, and what is good is being called bad. Isaiah 5.20 says it best. Woe unto those who call evil good and put darkness before light and light before darkness. We are warned in this last day prophecy that this will happen. Our laws are no longer based on Judeo-Christian morality, but on Kinsey's immoral morality. It's a morality of adulterous, fornicating, aborting, pornography, sadistic, bisexual, homosexual, exhibitionist, voyeuristic, and child sex slave world of abuse. These truths are hard to accept, but they're critical. Americans have to come to the understanding what has gone wrong and how we change from a family-oriented country to this sex-obsessed nation that we have today. Believe it or not, even child abuse, rape, and incest, which is now called adult child sex and intergenerational sex, are slowly but surely gathering respectability and acceptance. Alfred Kinsey said that many people think having sex with a child is a good thing, pointing to a 100,000 websites at the time that offered illegal child pornography. Worldwide at the time, child pornography generated $3 billion in annual revenue. As legislators and government officials promote gay-friendly laws, they're unwittingly laying the foundation for special protections for pedophiles, including the right to work with children. Linda Harvey of Mission America said the push for equal rights for pedophiles will become more common as LGBT groups continue to assert themselves. It's all part of the plan to introduce sex to children at a younger and younger age to convince them that normal relationships is actually a sexual attraction, she said. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association declassified homosexuality from its list of mental disorders after intense lobbying by homosexual right groups. At the time, critics warned that it would eventually lead to the acceptance of other type of sexual deviancy, including pedophilia. Supporters of the gay lifestyle criticized that comparison, and they insisted that no such thing would ever occur. They called it a scare tactic. However, looks like the critics hit the mark. In 2003, a group of mental health professionals formed by Before You Act to begin a slow, steady push to define pedophilia as a sexual orientation in the same way the homosexuals did in 1970s. The organization calls pedophiles minor attracted people 
And the website states its purpose is to help mental health professionals learn more about the attraction to minors and to consider the effects of stereotyping, stigma, and fear. In 2010, two psychologists in Canada made national news when they declared that pedophilia is a sexual orientation, just like homosexuality. Van Geshem, who is a psychologist and retired professor from the University of Montreal, told members of Parliament, pedophiles are not simply people who commit a small offense from time to time, but rather are grappling with what is equivalent to a sexual orientation just like another individual may be grappling with homosexuality or heterosexuality. He went on to say, true pedophiles have an exclusive preference for children, which is the same as having a sexual orientation. You cannot change this person's sexual orientation, he said. He may, however, remain abstinent. Well, when asked if he should be comparing pedophiles to homosexuals, Van Gresham replied, if, for instance, you were living in a society where heterosexuality is prescribed or prohibited, and you were told that you had to get therapy to change your sexual orientation, you'd probably say, that's slightly crazy. In other words, you would not accept that at all. He said, I use this analogy to say that, yes, indeed, Pedophiles do not change their sexual orientation. Dr. Vernon Quincy, professor of psychology at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, agreed with Van Gresham, saying pedophiles' sexual interest caused them to prefer children. And there's no evidence that this sort of preference can be changed through treatment or through anything else. In July of 2010, Harvard Health Publication declared, Pedophilia is a sexual orientation and unlikely to change. Treatment aims to enable someone to resist acting on those sexual urges. Now, if the APA could declare pedophilia as a sexual orientation on par with homosexuality, it would have huge ramifications for existing anti-discrimination laws. The common process has been for homosexual advocates to add sexual orientation to a list of non-discrimination factors in cities and states. Well, does all this sound familiar? They went on to say that such references are not directly specifically toward homosexuality and could be interpreted to protect a host of other people with orientations such as bisexual or transgenders. Supporters of the LGBT lifestyle vehemently deny the connection, insisting age-of-consent laws would prevent pedophiles from claiming the same rights as homosexuals in employment, housing, and other areas. And at face value, the claim seems to have merit. However, the problem is, psychologists have a sharp distinction between pedophiles and child molesters. Dr. Gregory Herrick a fellow at the APA and the Association for Psychological Sciences and past recipient of the APA Award for Distinguished Contributions, argued the point in an article titled Facts About Homosexuality and Child Molestation. Herrick said the problem is the average person fails to understand the correct terminology, which is to say is confusing and misleading regarding pedophiles. Pedophiles and child molestation are used in different ways, even by professionals, Herrick said. 
pedophilia usually refers to an adult psychological disorder characterized by preferences for prepubescent children as sexual partners. This preference may or may not be acted on. He said that by contrast, child molestation and child sexual abuse refers to action taken by a perpetrator. Based on this definition, a pedophile has not broken any laws since he's not actually engaged in a sexual act with a child. Analysts say with no laws being broken in pedophilia were to be declared a sexual orientation, it would fall under the definition of sexual orientation in an appropriate legal status. This could prove especially problematic for employers who want to hire people to work with children, like daycare centers or schools. If a pedophile were to apply for a job, as long as he could claim he had not engaged in any child molestation, this pedophile could claim discrimination if he was rejected based on his sexual orientation. Harvey said that while there are currently age-of-consent laws that prohibit adults from engaging with sex with children, there is a push to change that. There are people who advocate for sexual freedom who've been attempting to lower the age of consent for quite some time, Harvey said. One of the things I see happening is that they're going active in freeing and empowering youth to be who they are. They're attempting to destigmatize sex between older youth and younger children. For instance, they'll be pushing under anti-bullying laws that there's nothing wrong with a 16-year-old having sexual relations with an 11-year-old. Once you've passed that barrier and established that sexual orientation because it is something that people just do is a logical step to take the next leaf to pedophilia. Now, she noted that the process that this is being played out in a mental health professionals, such as the Before You Act, is the same as what happened in the 70s with homosexuality. The definition by psychologists between pedophilia and child molestation is very important. They want to first establish the idea of identity of people who are attracted to children. The next step is to play the victim card. Seeing there are people who are hateful to them and criticizing them, it's hateful because it's an orientation and therefore they can't help it. The reason that this very act on their sexual impulses toward children is the problem. Common sense says that if you have feelings, you're going to act on them. It's not an inborn just like there's no biological basis for homosexuality. It's not inborn. However, the militant lobby for pedophiles will defend their right to have their orientation, and that's where they're going to go first. They will not go to behavior right away because they know that people won't go with them on that. But they will go with the idea of desiring what you want to desire because you have no choice in it. You were born that way. There are also people who advocate legalizing child pornography. They're saying it helps prevent pedophiles from becoming child molesters. However, isn't the person having sex with the child in the pornography breaking the law? And doesn't that make it look like it's okay to do this? After all, the person in the picture or in the movie are doing it, and it's legal to possess that child porn. Does this make it look like it's okay? Milton Diamond, a University of Hawaii professor and director of Pacific Center for Sex and Psychology, once stated that child pornography could be beneficial to society 
because potential sex offenders could use child pornography as a substitute for sex against children. On its website, it lists basic sexual rights that include the right to engage in sexual acts or activities of any kind whatsoever, providing they do not involve unconsensual acts, violence, constraint, or fraud. Other rights are to be free of persecution, condemnation, discrimination, or social intervention in private sexual behavior, and the freedom of any sexual thought, fantasy, or desire. The organization also says there should be no disadvantage because of their age. What should be even more alarming, especially to parents, is that the APA has downplayed any mental health issues that children may experience resulting from sexual abuse by adults. In 1998, the APA issued a report claiming the negative potential of adult sex with children was overstated that the vast majority of both men and women reported no negative sexual effects from their child's sexual abuse experiences. There's a California law, and under the bill's language, a mental health counselor could be sanctioned if there was an attempt to get a pedophile to change his behavior or to speak negatively about the behavior. If someone were to say to their sexual orientation is toward children, a licensed mental health practitioner were to counsel against those tendencies as opposed to affirming that behavior, it is problematic, could result in ethical code violations by the counselor. The language is so broad and so vague in this bill, it arguably could include all forms of sexual orientation, including pedophilia. This according to Brad Dukas, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. He said it's not just the orientation that's protected. The conduct associated with the orientation is protected as well. People may not realize the federal government has already granted pedophile protection status. The Matthew Shepard, James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act lists sexual orientation as a protected class. So if pedophiles can be classified as a sexual orientation, there's already laws in place to protect them. There are some Republicans who attempted to add an amendment specifying that pedophilia is not covered as an orientation. However, the amendment was defeated by Democrats in Congress shortly after Obama took office. Representative Alice Hastings, a Democrat from Florida, stated that all alternative sexual lifestyles should be protected under the law. She said this bill addresses our resolve to end violence based on prejudice and to guarantee that all Americans, regardless of race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability, or all of these philias and fetishes and isms that were put forward need not live in fear because of who they are. I urge my colleagues to vote in favor of this rule. These kind of rules include hate speech laws, anti-discrimination laws, tolerance, diversity rules and diversity training. They all lead to the same thing, and that's anything and everything goes. And there's nothing you're allowed to do about it. Thank you for joining me for this discussion. I'm going to go out with the soundbite from my YouTube video, A World Without Standards. And please, subscribe to my YouTube channel at W. Dean Shook. You'll find podcasts of all my shows and this video and other videos. 
This is the soundbite from my YouTube video, A World Without Standards. Hi, this is W. Dean Shook. This is a personal commentary of things that need to be said. I've been pondering a question. Why do people who say they're Christian talk the talk, but when put under pressure, they don't walk the walk? We've been letting the cultural left get away with murder. I'm not just referring to the murder of our own children through abortion, or the mercy killing of the old, or suicide by calling it death with dignity, but also the broad cultural acceptance, including among Christians, of two stupid and dangerous ideas that have allowed the left to dominate the cultural decisions for decades. First, Christians are told very loudly, we can't legislate morality. This argument is inevitably used to justify the legality of something blatantly wicked or immoral, like abortion. Yet, countless Christians say that while they're pro-life, they do believe in Christian ethics. They don't think trying to impact public policy or bringing it to the public square because we're told we can't legislate morality. But we're forgetting something. All law legislates morality. All laws are put into place because of a value judgment that something should be permitted, restricted, regulated, or banned. But Christians are leaving these decisions to someone else's code of morality, and someone else's values are being used as a guiding principle for governance. If we don't fight for things like the lives of our unborn children and demand legal protection for them, then we're allowing the government to legislate their morality. We're allowing those who claim that the right to destroy human life on demand is right and is moral. Why? Because a new morality has been legislated and ours has been replaced. The cultural left, while silencing Christians with the demand that we stop trying to legislate our morality, is attempting to do that precise thing. When they scream that gay marriage should be legal and accepted, they're demanding this because they say it's right and good and moral. They're saying that to deny marriage to homosexuals is discriminatory, therefore wrong. And the solution, they tell us, is for the government and the courts to step in and ensure that this wrong is righted, that this injustice is corrected. Now, it's not that they don't think morality should be legislated. They simply think that Christian morality should not be legislated. The left has tried to silence Christians by saying that morality is subjective, if it even exists at all. That it's okay if you believe that, but that only means it's right for you. Other people must remain true to themselves and do what's right for them. Well, the truth is, morality cannot be subjective, or it's not morality. Right and wrong cannot be subjective, or they cease to exist. Crimes like rape and murder should be illegal because they're immoral. Christians argue they're immoral because God, the lawgiver, has said they are. The cultural left cannot claim that banning abortion is immoral. Why? Because they cannot claim anything is immoral. That each individual has their own morality. It's whatever is right for them. 
and inevitably their claim that something is or is not moral is based on one thing, how they feel about something. And the hypocrisy here is blatant. We are in a time when what's good is being called evil and what is evil is being called good. Society has no standards. And the result of that is a massive, rapid decay of society. Turns out, what we're seeing today is the fruit of pride, greed, selfishness, and a total disregard for anyone but self. Our manufacturer, the one who created us, has given us a manual on how to operate this life. It's a book of standards by which we must live. It's the operating instructions on how to make this life work and work correctly. How do we know when we've moved outside of these standards? What happens is things start going wrong. When things begin to stop working the way they're supposed to, bad things start to happen. Evil steps into this void and establishes its standards. The standards of evil. Standards that lead to destruction. We as Christians need to either step up and start to reinstate some standards or we're going to continue to watch our lives, our society, and the world in general crumble. Don't just talk the talk. Stand up. Be what God has told us to be. Walk the walk. It may be the only way to save ourselves.